Thank you for listening to the Prairie Oaks Pulpit Podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday morning sermons. I hope it is a blessing to you and contributes to your spiritual growth. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, supporting this ministry. God bless. Now let's get to the sermon. But Romans chapter 3, and we've been working our way through, and the good news is we're about to get through this big section that we've been working on. Because, you know, we started and worked our way through chapter 1, and we saw where the righteousness of God has been revealed. And it's the righteousness of God being we can receive His righteousness, His gift of right standing with Him by faith. But then Paul said two verses later, and the wrath of God has been revealed. And he has spent, we've spent the last three weeks unpacking that. As we saw where everyone stands guilty before God, because we as Gentiles have been, well, we had knowledge in two ways of God. We could see that God existed through all of creation. And he had written his law on our hearts. And we neither acknowledged him nor were grateful to the God that we could see existed through creation, much less sought after him. But then also the God that had written his law on our hearts, we disobeyed. And so we stood guilty. But then those who grew up and, and had the law, had the, and he's speaking specifically in his time of the Jews, but truth be told, he's speaking to us as kids who grew up in church then he's going after us. He says, it's not good enough that you, that you know the law, that you grew up in, in the Word of God, going to Sunday school and had all the good answers. He said, you also have proven not only that you break the laws, that you know that you do. Clyde did a great job this morning of, of unpacking just one aspect of that as he was talking about that partiality that we show, favoritism. But then he said, which suddenly I feel really convicted about that because I just realized that Morgan and some of these other kids know that I've, the game that I've played is that I play favorites and that's not a good game to play perhaps, but especially when I admit it right now and in that way, but I think it's taken a good humor. But still, favoritism. We break the rules, we break the laws that we know and that makes us doubly guilty because we weren't just disobeying God, we were disobeying God knowingly. And so... He says, both groups stand guilty before God. And so he's going to unpack that one more time for us here in Romans chapter 3. And then he's going to turn the corner. And he's going to get back to that, the good news. All right, so that's, that's where we're going. That's the roadmap for today. Are you ready? So then let's stand, if you're able, out of respect for God's word. Romans chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 9. And it says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Let's pause for prayer. Father, we're thankful for the time together. We thank you, Lord, for each one that's come out. We pray, Lord, your blessing on the children's chapel. Thank you for Holly and and Eliza and, and, and just work there in, in their class, Lord, as they learn about you at, at, at her level. And I just pray, Lord, that you bless and hear your spirit to move and hear as well, Lord, that you would apply the word to our hearts. We would learn at our level, Lord. In a lot of ways, we still need to come as a little child, Lord, in obedience and trust. And I pray, Lord, in our messes, we realize we are but little kids. We're in messes bigger than we can fix. And so we ask you, Lord, to work in our hearts. We love you because you first loved us. We need you because we are helpless without you. Forgive us of the ways we fail you. And in the name and for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so you can kind of pick up then what he's, he's got going on here, can't you? You see here where he says then, so are we any better than they? And he's speaking of, of himself as, as one of the Jews, as one of the good church kids. And he says, are we any better than they? Now, he answered that question a little differently. He asked the same question a little differently a few verses up because he said, well, is there any advantage to being the good church kid or the, or, the, or the one who grew up going to synagogue school and all that? And he says, oh, there's a really big advantage. You've been exposed to the word of God, the oracles of God. That's a huge advantage. And I, and I pause in that because I want us to, to really worship and thank God that we, have, that we have access to the word of God the way we do. You know, as Miss Holly was telling just a little bit ago, you know, spending time in his word every day, have the privilege of having his word with us. That wasn't something that Paul's readers had. They had to go to us. They didn't have their own copy of God's word. They had to listen really intently when they went to synagogue school and memorize. And, and, and that, was, that was what they had. Now, they might have, if they were uh, been taught, they probably had a lot more memorized than we're good at memorizing because we've kind of gotten to the point now where we just rely on these little devices to tell us everything and we don't remember anything. But they were memorizing these things, but we've got a tremendous privilege. We've got it right here that they would be envious of. Are we spending that time in his work? Are we taking advantage of the advantage that we have in history? I hope that, I hope that we're, that we're not ignorant of that blessing and that we're not ignorant of what God has said in his word. Because here's the thing, I, I marveled at this this morning, you know. We each, when we're listening to God and sharing what we're learning, we teach one another. We gain from one another. 
this isn't the main part of the lesson, but it's a part of the lesson. In that, so Holly mentioned Romans chapter 5, and it tells us why we go through tribulations. And already this morning, I've had people, I don't understand why I have all these troubles. Holly answered the question because God answered the question. And God's spirit moved that she would share what she had read this week. And it spoke to a number of people because then you hear other people reference what they heard. That's the Holy Spirit taking the word of God. That's, that's huge. We serve a living God who desires to speak with us and help us in our time of needs, in our prayers to answer. Are we listening? Are we even seeking? There's a, I hope so. Like I said, that is a tremendous advantage then. And one that, that I think it's too easy to take for granted. Because, well, it's, it's here all the time. We may not always have it all the time. Your word have I hidden in my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against you. Written in the heart. Because on the page, it won't change my life until it gets to my brain and into my heart. And so the Apostle Paul here, getting back to Romans chapter 3, he says then that we are all under sin. And he, as an orator, and a very skilled orator in his day, uh, a, a skilled speaker, he has used all of his rhetoric skills and, and, and the philosophy of his day to, to clearly demonstrate that people are, are sinners using reason. But he backs it up with the word of God. And that's what happens in these next verses. Verses 10 through 18. Those are one after another scripture quotes. He just pounds through it. Quoting from the Psalms. Quoting from Isaiah. He gives us both what's lacking and what's there instead. The what is lacking, we're not righteous. No, not one. We didn't we just sing a song like that? No, not one. There's no friend like Jesus. No, not one. But the reality is that's because we are not righteous. No, not one. We don't do good. No, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. If there is someone who is seeking after God, then you know it is God at work in them. It is God who gives us the hunger, the desire to seek him. That's why Jesus could say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because they will be filled. There's none who understands. There's none who seek. They have all turned aside. They've gone the wrong way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We each have gone our own way. And I'm, I'm going to get on my little soapbox here for a minute, and you'll have to forgive me. You know, that, that song, um, I Did It My Way. Oh, you can hear the pride and the arrogance in that song. Because it is a song of, whether he, Frank Sinatra meant it or not, it's a song of rebellion. That's what Isaiah 53 is saying. We're supposed to do it God's way. In fact, the believers were known as the way because they were following he who is the way, the truth, and the life. Because nobody comes to the Father except through 
him. And so I plead with us, don't do it your way. Do it his way. Do it his way. But we've all turned aside. We've all together become unprofitable, worthless. There is none who does good. No, not one. None. Our righteousness is what? It's as filthy rags. If I told you what it really says, you'd be grossed out and say, I shouldn't have said that from the pulpit. It's nasty. And that's what we're lacking. Then he goes in verses 13 through 18. He says, instead of having good and righteousness, this is what you do have. Your throat is an open tomb. It's full of corruption. He wasn't just talking about our bad breath. He was talking about what's coming out of our hearts, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we need a filter, right? With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. They're liars. The poison of ass is under the lips. What a fire the little organ, the tongue, can kindle. How much damage can it do with our words? Careless words. Because that mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. One of the convicting verses in chapter 2 that we didn't spend a lot of time on, but verse 24, he's Verse 23, he says, you make your boast in the law, but you dishonor God through breaking the law for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. How often do people say, I don't want anything to do with that Jesus if he's anything like the people who claim him? That's a tragedy. Their feet are swift to shed blood. You may not have shed any blood, but we see in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that if you hate, you've already murdered in your heart. Destruction and misery are in their ways. One of the most frustrating things we see is that even in our good deeds, we leave a wake of destruction behind us. Nothing seems to be just painless, does it? That's our fallen nature. Misery are in their ways. They have not known the way of peace, war, and rumors of war, as, as Stephen pointed out in Sunday school. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And I think that's a fitting summary of all that. The fear of God. If we just had a little bigger view of who God is and the judgment to come, it would change a lot of people, wouldn't it? Because we don't know how soon it could be that we will stand before the judge and give an account for every word and for every action and every thought. And so he says there, there's no fear of God before their eyes. And he's used these scriptures to prove that point to a group of people who understand the power and the importance of the word of God. And so he says there in verses 19 and 20, so we know what the law says. Those of us who are under the law, but that 
Everyone, every mouth may be stopped. All the world is guilty before God. There's no excuses. There's no explanations. There's no exoneration. We're all without excuse. All the world guilty. And he says, so your good works, it ain't going to work. No matter what that good work was. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. No one will come out being declared righteous in right standing before God by their own actions. You know, the old, some of you that cook, this, this may make good sense to you. When you know, you're making your scrambled eggs and you start breaking eggs. Well, if one of them is bad, do you go ahead and put it in with the scrambled eggs? Because I mean, it's only going to be like one fifth or one sixth of the, of the combination. No. And even if you could possibly have one five-sixth of your life to be good and only one-sixth of it to be bad, it still ruins it all. As James said, he who keeps the whole law yet only breaks one part of it, he's guilty of all. And so is the same with us. So there's no, no amount of good that we can do to outweigh all of the bad. And it grieves my heart because I know people who that's what they're hoping for. I'm hoping my good's better than my bad. It ain't. It ain't. And that brings us back to where, where we started. The law cannot save. All it does is reveal sin. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So how can one have right standing before God? Well, let's go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 again, just to, just to see where he's going with this. Because he said the word justified. He said righteousness. Where are we going? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so he says here, this is the good news. That's what the word gospel means. The good news, there's salvation from this hopeless disaster of a mess that is my life. And it's to anyone and everyone who believes the righteousness of God, the right standing to be declared just by faith, to have God's justice satisfied, and yet for him to say that I've been exonerated, forgiven. How can that be? Well, let's look at verse 21 of Romans chapter 3 again. We're gonna, I want you to remember so that we can connect the two dots. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe. The righteousness of God, that right standing can be had through faith in who? Not in myself, in Jesus Christ, in Him. 
It is a righteousness that is revealed. It's for everyone who believes. It's there. It's been witnessed. The law, the prophets, they all testify to this. And not to steal from my thunder, but in the next coming weeks, Lord willing, we're going to look at some of those. Because Paul looks at some of those. He goes all the way back to Genesis and says, see, I told you so. This is, here's an example of someone who was saved by faith, declared righteous by faith. And here's another one. Man, he was a bad sinner. He got saved by grace through faith. And so he's going to unpack that for us. So we're not going to jump to that yet. But we see here, it's that right standing to be declared in right standing with God apart from the law, but witnessed by the law in the prophets. And it's through faith. And I, I found these quotes and I thought it was beneficial to just, so this is out of my study Bible. Um, but now that the righteousness of God has been revealed, it has to be received. Or you're missing out, right? Then you're still under condemnation. And for it to be received, then we do by faith, by believing. It's not the good work we do to get that. It's the instrument. It's just us asking and we receive by grace, by, by, as a gift, just gifted to us. It's by asking. But believing for Paul involves knowledge of the gospel's content. You have to know what the gospel is for you to believe it, right? Well, how are you going to, well, how are you going to know? Well, that's a funny question you should ask because the Apostle Paul answers that question a little later in the book. Um, He says, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This isn't to elevate this preacher, but we're all preachers, proclaimers of good news gospel. Because he didn't just say to the guys that stand on that side of the pulpit, go therefore and make disciples. He said to all of his disciples, go make disciples. Of all nations. It's through us. And so we need, so the knowledge of the gospel's content, we need to know those things. For some of us, we may be at a point where it's like, I know some of the basics, but I don't know if I can, I got it all figured out. Well, trust me, when I was 11 years old, I didn't have it all figured out, but he still saved me because I responded in faith. And now that I, oh, that's 40 some years later, I still don't have it all figured out. There's still mysteries to the word of God because God is still a lot bigger than my little soda can brain can scoop in. But the reality is the gospel is Jesus. He is the good news. As I said last week, Jesus, as foretold in the Old Testament Scriptures, the Son of God, set aside His glory to be born of a virgin. 
He lived the sinless life that we can't do for us, for you and for me. He lived the sinless life. He taught the way of God rightly. Again, he is the way. And he suffered and he died for you and for me. He took our place, paid for our sins. He was buried and on the third day, he rose again for you and for me. He has demonstrated his eternal life in 40 days after his resurrection. And he has ascended to the right hand of the Father to receive the kingdom where he makes intercession for you and for me. And one day he's coming again for you and for me if you have put your trust in him. Amen. That is the gospel's content. But it's one thing to know the gospel's content. It is another thing to trust and rely on it. It's one thing to say that I think the roof will stay on while I'm underneath the building. It's another thing to get under the roof, right? Are you under Christ? Because if you're not, you're still under your sins. It is to put our reliance in Him as Savior and Lord. And that trust manifests itself in obedience to walk with Him. The the verses of assurance that we have throughout the New Testament that we can't lose our salvation are annoyingly always surrounded by verses that tell us to persevere and continue on. So it's God who saves us. It's God who keeps us. And the evidence should show. And he still gets all the glory because it's not me working again. I can't. My works don't do anything. They're nasty. But instead, it's him working through me. It was in our Isaiah study. He's done all of our works through us, for us. That's why when we get to the throne, we take our crowns and we cast them at his feet because he did it for us. He earned them through us. And so we see, we see Christ. He's the solution to the problem. Paul's goal for the last three chapters is that we would recognize there's a problem so that we would receive the good news. And most of the rest of the book is about the good news and unpacking it. But he wanted to make sure his readers in Rome and us reading over their shoulders would understand what we need. 
not just what we needed, but who we still need day by day by day. And so I don't know where you are, but we're going to have a song of invitation. And the song of invitation is a time to respond to the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's because you need salvation. If so, do it. We pray. We pray for the lost to be saved. We pray for those around us who need to be saved. We pray because we need him more every day. Will you stand? Will you respond as the Holy Spirit prompts today?